Hi, this is David Harewood, and you are listening to Supergirl Radio. Melissa Benoist hangs out with Linda Carter. Hero of the Year is now on DVD. And we shine a spotlight on Maggie Sawyer. This is Supergirl Radio. your source for all things related to the CW Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. My name is Rebecca Johnson. I'm Carly Lane. And for this episode, we are joined by Michael Bailey of Radio KAL Live, Views from the Long Box, and from Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, to shine a character spotlight on Maggie Sawyer. Welcome back to Supergirl Radio, Michael. It's always a pleasure to have you. Oh, it's a pleasure to be back. But before we get to our discussion, we have... The News. On August 18th, Melissa Benoist shared a picture of her with Linda Carter on her Instagram. So uh, what do you all think about this picture? It's uh, Melissa in her Supergirl suit with uh, Linda Carter looking very, I I guess, presidential, you could say. Um, Carly, do you have any thoughts about this picture? Uh, It made me very excited when I first saw it. Also, it seems like Linda Carter is as equally excited to be on Supergirl as everyone else is to have her on Supergirl because she she shared the same image. And I was like, oh, this is so great. <laughs> yeah, she's been tweeting about Supergirl quite a bit. I think she is having a good time over there. Um, Michael, do you have any thoughts about this picture? It makes me happy in ways I can't describe. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't realize Melissa Benoist was that tall, because Linda Carter is not a short woman. Uh, and they seem to be about uneven keel there. I also think it's funny that I see this in the same week that for the first time I see Melissa Benoist in a Wonder Woman type costume singing, holding out for a hero. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So yeah. I, I, nice little timing there, but now nah, I just, I'm really glad that she's part of the show. Yeah. Linda Carter looks good. I hadn't seen her in anything in a while. And so um, I, I guess the last time I saw her acting in something was Smallville when she was Chloe's mom. She was very good in it. Um, so I, I'm very excited to see her on the show, even though I'm usually anti-set pictures. This one isn't too bad. They're not like standing in front of anything that's giving anything away. We already knew that Linda w- was going to be on the show, so I'm not freaking out about it. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not it's, a spoiler. <laughs> not a spoiler. It's just two people in a picture. Um, but that's <laughs> it's, it's cool. It, it sort of makes me really excited to see what Linda Carter is going to bring to the show and um, I thought it was really funny because I guess she's making the rounds on all the sets and with the characters. I don't know with all the other actors because David Harewood also tweeted a picture of him with Linda Carter on August 23rd. So a couple of days later. So I guess this was maybe shooting the same episode. Yeah, it almost looks like the picture with David Harewood. They're in the D- on the DEO set. So that could be cool. We'll have a little POTUS action. Yeah, and I'm I'm a little like okay, this one is bordering <laughs> bordering on spoil, spoiler territory because the DEO set 
looks a little different. And I can say that firsthand because when I went to go run my Star Wars 5K in Los Angeles in January of 2016, I made a little stop. I went from Anaheim to Los Angeles to the Warner Brothers studio tour, and I made the tour guide take me on the Supergirl set um, because they, you know, they take requests. Um, it wasn't like I, like, forced him to do it out of any kind of physical assault. <laughs> it, no, they came out wrong. Um, but I requested that we go there, and they took us in the DEO set, and it it looked like the back cave in there. It was all, like, you know cave-like and water and so this one uh if they're in the deo set it looks a lot sleeker now yeah i don't and then i've also i'm curious if a lot of these selfies are taken when the lighting is different um because maybe they light it differently for tv too well, that's true. That's Who knows? True. And it could be a different part. Or it of the could DEO. be a different part that we haven't. Yeah, exactly. I was just saying, like, it could be a different section that we haven't seen yet. Right. Maybe this is where they take the, the POTUS. This is like yeah, the, exactly. the, the cleaner, right. the cleaner area. The DEO. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they like... don't. They don't bring the. They don't bring the POTUS into the area that's been like trashed by Maxima, <laughs> <laughs> where they bring all the uh, the Fort Ross inmates. Yeah, maybe maybe it's a little. Uh, more appropriate for the president. They look so oh, sweet like together. <laughs> I know. So cute. Okay. Uh, it, if you're a fan of DC Superhero Girls, you can now buy DC Superhero Girls Hero of the Year on DVD or watch it digitally on Amazon Instant Video or iTunes. Here is the movie's description from iTunes. It's time for the annual Hero of the Year ceremony, and the students of Superhero High compete for the top prize. But the festivities take a turn when Dark Opal targets the heroes and steals some of their most valued possessions to form the ultimate weapon. It's up to the students at Superhero High to spring into action. But can Wonder Woman, Supergirl, Batgirl, and Bumblebee stop Dark Opal and his mysterious partner in crime to save the day? My my guess is yes, that they will <laughs> stop them. Um, but I was really I was really curious, Michael, because I had never heard of Dark Opal before. Do you know anything about that character and the the Gem World? Yeah, uh, I am not super familiar with Amethyst, Princess of Gem World, uh, but that was a 1980s series. It was a mini series that went into an uh, a um, ongoing, which actually is like one of those concepts that would fit very well today. It's about this girl that finds out that she's secretly a princess of another dimension and everybody like has is different gems basically. So amethyst, opal and all that. Uh, they first appeared in a, not a backup, but a bonus book in a Legion of superheroes issue. And when I saw dark opal on my television screen and watching an ad for this the other night, I about spit out whatever I was drinking at the moment, because if you would have told me that Dark Opal was going to be in something like this is this is a who's who character. This is somebody, you know, because you read who's who or maybe you 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 happen to read the Amethyst book. But uh, it's it's just so crazy. But the um, this this entire line, the superhero girls thing just makes me happy in ways that I really can't describe because I walked into Walmart and there they were. So the fact that they're getting more movies and more merchandise is just amazing. And I just want it to continue. Yeah, I think it's a, a, a great thing to pull what I would I would categorize as a, an obscure DC Comics character like Dark Opal and put that into animation. 
for the first time. I think that's really, really cool. And I'm actually very excited to see the movie now because I've seen some of the videos that DC Superhero Girls in the, um, the, the television special that aired. So uh, I, I really like the, the line of DC Superhero Girls. I like the books and the videos. And I even have the, the little um, the app I downloaded just to see what it was. And I'm not real great at the Katana game. The, the Katana game is very difficult. <laughs> um, but I, but I'm very good at the puzzles. So um, I love the DC Superhero Girls line, and I think this this movie sounds really good. I saw a photo on Twitter. Somebody posted of, I think it might have been Target or Walmart, has the DC Superhero Girls, like, party goods. So you can throw a DC Superhero party, what? like, with plates and napkins and banners and stuff. And I was like... I want this for my birthday next year. <laughs> I was like, it's, I mean, it's clearly for little girls, sure. but like, which is adorable. But I was like, I don't, I don't care that I'm, you know, going to be mm, the next year. We'll see. Uh, I want, I want a DC superhero girls themed party. <laughs> They're for the kid at heart. So I don't think there's an age limit on it. Right. It's Supergirl. It's superheroes. It's, it's lady superheroes being adorable. And what, <laughs> what more could you ask for in a party? Come on. That's pretty cool. I'm glad to know that exists. I'm totally going to, I'm totally going to seek it out and look and try to get some of that stuff. Well, that's cool. You'll have to take lots of pictures for your DC yeah. superhero girls party. <laughs> Well, um, I think that's going to do it for our news, but we wanted to have another character spotlight because Maggie Sawyer will be making an appearance in the second season of Supergirl. So for this episode of the podcast, we brought in Michael Bailey to go through some of her history to learn more about her. So here are some basic things to know about Maggie Sawyer. Her full name is Margaret Ellen Sawyer. And she was created by John Byrne, first appearing in Superman Volume 2, Number 4, from April 1987. Maggie is mostly known to be affiliated with the Metropolis Special Crimes Unit and the Gotham City Police Department. So, Michael, um, what are the things, in addition to some of those basic elements of Maggie Sawyer's character, should we know about her from the comics? She was an interesting uh, creation because you had... In Adventures of Superman, which was one of the Superman books at the time, a character named Bill Henderson, who was an inspector for the police, uh, Metropolis Police Department, and he comes from like the radio series and the George Reeves series. But I think Byrne wanted to create a new cop character that was very different, uh, and especially creating the special crimes unit, you know, to kind of deal with you know the the messed up things that come mm-hmm. with having Superman in your city. Uh, one of the big things about Maggie Sawyer, which wasn't on Front Street when she first appeared, was her sexuality. But the funny thing is, is that if you read her early appearances, it is so apparent that the only reason I missed it is I was 12. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, that's that's what I'm going to hold on to is is because there's a lot of reading between the lines and her talking about her first marriage falling apart because she didn't understand things about herself. Uh, She was just this really kind of tough character that was the one that kind of ran into action when something was tearing up uh, Metropolis. And, you know, when you got to think of somebody being, you know, extremely brave to run into where Superman is fighting. I mean, that's, I mean, as we've kind of seen from the films, that's not usually a safe area. Right. So maybe you want to stay away. 
but she runs towards the danger. And she, uh, her partner or her second in command was a guy named Dan Turpin, uh, who's a Jack Kirby character. And through the first year and a half of her existing, we learn that she has a daughter. That daughter uh, runs away from home because she and her husband are divorced. And it turns out her daughter was kidnapped by this demon named Skyhook. What? Um, yeah, it's long, a little bit of a long story <laughs> there. But uh, but during that's when we kind of learn Maggie's backstory as somebody that was married, got divorced because she discovered that she was a lesbian. And she also runs afoul of Lex Luthor. Uh, in Superman number 10, Lex Luthor is manipulating Superman uh, to basically look like he's fighting somebody that's not there. Uh, but he's actually fighting this giant robot named Clash because it was 1987. And they, at the end of the issue, basically Maggie Sawyer walks up to Lex and is just like, you know, I know you, I know what you are, and I'm not letting this go. So Lex Luthor decides she's he's had quite enough of Maggie Sawyer. And there's a story in Action Comics number 600 from about six months later where basically Lex knows that she's a lesbian and is going to use that to kind of sully her reputation, um, which really ultimately doesn't go anywhere. Uh, but it was one of those things where Byrne was telling us something without telling us something. Uh, there was also a very sweet um, kind of sad story where Dan Turpin develops a crush on her. This was in Superman annual number two from 1988 in one of the backup stories. And he basically goes and proposes to her. Uh, which doesn't go well. Um, <laughs> he she lets him down easy, but it's it's kind of funny that he basically goes to propose to her at her apartment where she's living with her girlfriend, and she's 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 on the roof sunbathing, and up comes Dan Turpin and asks her to marry him. It was uh, it, like when you read it, it's sweet. But when you just say it out loud like that, it sounds kind of crazy. Uh, but I found that most things with Superman sound kind of crazy when you actually say them out loud. Right. Uh, but Maggie was just this really great supporting character. She was one of those uh, pieces that made this era of Superman so awesome. And eventually she was promoted because she was uh, a captain. And technically Inspector Turpin outranked her, but she was bossing him around. So when Bill Henderson is made commissioner, he promotes her to captain and she's heading up the Metropolis Special Crimes Unit and does that for about 15 years. I've learned a lot about her just now listening to you because I didn't know she had a lot of interactions with Lex Luthor. That really piques my interest uh, just because that is such a. An interesting dynamic because Superman is usually the one who deals with Lex Luthor, but to have another human in some kind of authority like a like a you know a detective police officer captain inspector whoever to go up against Lex Lex Luthor like that that's that's really interesting I'd, I'd like to see some of those panels and read some of those stories because uh, that really sticks out to me and I was interested in the dynamic between Dan Turpin and Maggie Sawyer because I know that they uh, are usually kind of paired up together. You, I have I, I, I have normally seen Dan Turpin and Maggie Sawyer as kind of a duo, so that's that's really interesting to know. And I did have a question. Um, you told us the story about how her daughter is kidnapped by a demon. Is that correct? 
Yes. Does does it end well? Uh, it ends well. Okay. She, um, she is saved uh, in Superman number fifteen. Uh, they have the confrontation with Skyhook, which actually has a scene. It's really awesome where Maggie Sawyer jumps on this winged demon and is flying in the sky. What? And it's like holding on and she falls. And as she's falling, she unloads her gun into him. No, that's so awesome. It's, it's, it's like, she's not going down without a fight. Superman catches her, of course, because you know, he's there. Right. Um, and it turns out the Skyhook is kind of a Fagin type character. He takes in runaways and turns them into kind of winged demons, uh, winged creatures like himself. And at the end of Superman number 15, uh, Jamie, her daughter, is back with her her father. And he's like, well, you need to stay home. You look like you don't feel well. And she's like, yeah, I don't feel well. And she's pulling on something on her arm. And uh, 20 issues later, in Superman number 35, basically Skyhook calls all of his children back. And there's a final kind of confrontation with him uh, where all of the kids are finally freed of Skyhook's control. Uh, so it, it ends well for, I mean, it ends as well as a kid from a, a home where the parents don't get along uh, can, can, can end. But Jamie isn't killed. She doesn't die. It's not an Adam Grant situation. <laughs> Good. Uh, if that was your concern. <laughs> yes. Yes. That, that would be, um, that would be a bad outcome. So I'm glad at least that had a, had a positive one. Uh, that sounds like a really fun story with like some cool visuals. I'm into that. I, I would like to read that. All of, uh, all of its own comiXology, which, uh, which is a pretty cheap way. Also they're in the Superman, the man of steel trades. Uh, if you want to, which are volume seven specifically has 15 in it, but yeah, it's, it's all really readily available either in trade paperback or if you're into the digital stuff, uh, which I buy both because I'm obsessed. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, it's all out there. That's really cool. Well, and you mentioned her girlfriend in the comics during that time. Um, well, do, do you know what her name was? I, I don't know if I caught it that. Was, it was Toby Rains. Okay, well, it was uh, Toby Rains. Okay. She was a reporter for the Daily Star, which I always thought was kind of cool because the Daily Star was Superman's original paper. Right. Um, and she didn't have a whole lot to do. Um, she was always kind of like, you know, like every once in a while you would see her interacting with Clark Kent, like in their day-to-day job. The biggest you saw between the two of them and in a relationship was a miniseries from 1994 called Metropolis SCU, which should have been awesome, but ended up being kind of meh. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it really focused on the SCU and it's like all the ingredients were there, but they didn't come together quite right. Cause one of those story points was that Lois Lane joins the MCU uh, and trains with them and, you know, to kind of get the inside story, which kind of puts Maggie on the outs with her reporter girlfriend um, in, in a way that kind of it, it seemed like manufactured drama. And there was mm-hmm. a lot of drama with her ex-husband and her kid and stuff. But in the end, it all kind of works out and you see that they have a really good relationship and all that. But uh, you really didn't see a whole lot of Toby in the comics. Well, and I know that Maggie has also had another girlfriend that I think Carly enjoys a lot, um, Kate Kane, a.k.a. Batwoman. Um, do you know anything about their relationship? I'm actually going to have to to claim ignorance. I, I have not read a whole lot of Batwoman. I really want to. 
but I was really mad when Maggie Sawyer left Metropolis. And uh, so, I mean, I read, uh, what was that called? It was the cop series. Why am I blanking on it? It was such a, it was, oh man. There was a series in the early 2000s that just focused on the Gotham Police Department. Oh, Gotham Central. Yeah, Gotham Central. And Maggie Sawyer kind of came to Gotham on that during that storyline and I was just really mad uh, because I didn't want, they were taking so much away from Superman at that point that taking Maggie Sawyer was kind of my bridge too far. But now that I understand that she had a relationship with Batwoman, I really need to go read those comics. Yeah. Yes, you do. Yeah. yeah Carly, <laughs> what, what do you know about that relationship? Um, I mean, it's, it's one of the ones that I, I'm not like too familiar with the ins and outs of it, but I know they were, there was a little bit of controversy because DC would allow them to show, um, Kate like proposing to Maggie Sawyer, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't let them like show the wedding or like the, that they were like in a marriage, like a same sex marriage. So it was a little, it's a kind of a tricky situation, I think. Um, but I think as far as I know, they're like still together or like the most, the like, most recent in one of the more recent incarnations were at least in the well, last few years. Maggie's back in Metropolis as of the first issue of action in rebirth. Oh, okay. So, so rebirth, rebirth changed it. Okay. Yeah. So, and I was actually kind of excited. It's one of those things where it was kind of bittersweet because I was really excited to see it. But at the same time, I knew there were people that loved her being with Kate and being in that title. So I, I didn't want to take away somebody's fun, but at the same time, I was really glad to see her back in Metropolis. Well, and I had a question about that because I read, I read somewhere on the internet, who knows where I read it. I didn't write it down. Um, uh, but I saw the thing, Carly, that you mentioned about how they, how DC wouldn't let them get married. But then I was also starting to think, well, DC never really wanted their comic book characters to marry each other anyway. No, um, they don't really like, they don't really like to get to people to get married. Cause I feel like, yeah, that I don't think comics in general really like to get people to get main characters to get married. Which they is, find ways to break people up. Yeah. <laughs> like if they have a wedding in the comics, I would say, I mean, I honestly can't, I honestly can't think of a, of a current comics couple. And that's, and this is, you know, Marvel and DC that they haven't found a way to like break up later along the line, you know, in some storyline. Like I'm reminded of, uh, of, uh, why am I blanking? I'm reminded of Sue Storm and, uh, Reed Richards. And, uh, yes. Because they got married in the comics and then mm -hmm. broken up, I think and several then back times. Together again. Yes, and then, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it was. It's not a really healthy relationship to begin with. If you no. read like Fantastic Four for for extended periods of time, you realize what a jerk Reed Richards can be. Um, but no, it, it's it's funny because when that whole kerfuffle hit, and they basically said, you know, they're not getting married. Dan DiDio was at a convention like the next weekend. And he basically explained that they don't want their characters to ultimately be happy because of the lives they lead. You know, it's just like, you know, if, if you're going to, if you're like for him and for DC as a company, 
being a hero requires sacrifice, and one of those sacrifices is a personal life, which I think is kind of a slap in the face to every married cop um, right. and firefighter and anybody and soldier. Um, but at the same time, you know, they're the ones in charge, so they get to make these decisions. But I know that there was a huge schism uh, between the readers of Batwoman and DC when, when that whole thing went down. Uh, and some people are still mad about it, but that doesn't quite surprise me either. Well, this is where my love for comic books and my love for soap operas kind of melds into one, because <laughs> that is the same method that soap operas use to tell their stories. You don't see happy couples on soaps. You might see them from like six months and somebody cheats on somebody. And it's like, mm-hmm. why did someone cheat on Nick Newman again? Why? Why would anybody cheat on Nick Newman? But it happens because they need some drama. They need something to happen to cause another story to, because it, you know, they're churning out three episodes a day, so they've got to have more stories. So then they try to find it where they can. So I think comic books kind of operate in the same way, even though it kind of doesn't make any sense because, like, Lois and Clark got married in the comics and. I thought they did a fairly good job with that. And they, I think, back me up on this, Michael, or correct me, either one, they stayed married for quite a long time until, I think, the New 52? Yeah, they were they were together till the New 52, and they're together again in Rebirth. Uh, because this is the pre-Flashpoint Superman and Lois running around in Superman in action. So, it, you know, you're, you're getting to see them as a couple and them working together and... Lois Lane donning a Batman armor to protect her son from the Eradicator, which was just awesome. Um, but no, it's it's one of those things where I, I see both sides of the issue. Like, I'm always pulling for the kids to get together in one way or another, even if they're, like, massively older than me. I'll still call them kids because it's kind of funny. Um, you know, I'm always wanting to see that, but at the same time, there is more drama in... In, you know, the off again, on again type thing. But I I think the only exception is there's times where there's a couple that just works and you never want to see them broken up. Uh, In in before Flashpoint, there was the Earth 2 Flash, Jay Garrick and his wife. And they were just like a mainstay. Like, you know, it was Jay and Joan. And Joan was his sidekick in the Golden Age. So, you know, they had like this massive history together. So on, on some ca- in some cases, you never want to see them break up. But in some other cases, maybe for the good of the drama, it, you know, it needs to happen. Yeah, and I personally think that there can be drama to seeing these two people work it out and doing the things that they do together. Like with mm-hmm. Kate Kane as Batwoman and Maggie Sawyer as a cop or whatever she's doing at the time she they could work together they could solve crimes together they could go after the bad guys together and that i think you can put drama in there instead of having to cause rifts between them so yeah right. I, I see i see the both sides too but i'm like yeah but you if you're a good storyteller you can tell a good story if they get married yeah that's like my biggest my biggest complaint with you know rebecca you talk about soap operas like my biggest complaint with TV shows where it's clearly a will they, won't they main couple and the show like teases you and doesn't get them together for like five or six seasons. And by the end of it, you're like, okay, there's no logical reason why these two people would not be together at this point. 
Like it's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Thinking of like TV shows, like um, like TV shows like Castle or Bones or you know sh- like shows where if it was real life, they would have gotten together probably within the first two seasons. But they try to perpetuate this drama, and I totally agree with you. I think I think smart writers can find ways to incorporate drama with an established couple. You don't have to break up your leading, you know, your lead couple to, to create a situ, you know, a, a dramatic situation or tension or whatever. You can find ways where they have to depend on each other or they might disagree on something or there's a rift between them, but at the end of the day, they're kind of able to move past it and are stronger for it. You know, and I think in the case of like Maggie and Kate, it could have been the th- a situation of their jobs are equally dangerous. They don't want to put each other in danger. They kind of have to wrestle with that. Like, you know, there's things like that, that can be, I think that incorporated. She's, yeah. She's like legit law enforcement and right. Right. A vigilante. I exactly. Mean, yeah. So that's mean, like be- that in itself is an interesting dynamic. It's, it's like, you know, it's like if Batman and Commissioner Gordon were a couple. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure that exists out there somewhere, but or it's even, just, you know. Yeah, or even the relationship of Commissioner Gordon and Barbara Gordon. Like, yeah. I was reading, I was reading the, um, you know, the, the, uh, the Batgirl run um, by Cameron Stewart and Brendan Fletcher. And, you know, and then, and that whole relationship is fascinating because it's basically like Commissioner Gordon, you know kind of knows that, you know, doesn't know that his daughter is a vigilante in that incarnation and she knows what he does. And so there's this whole conflict there of, of, you know, she's trying to figure out like, how do I tell my dad? You know, I, you know, he knows, I mean, (laughs) there was a a great episode after the Batman animated series went to the WB. That was a scarecrow episode where at the very beginning, Batgirl is knocked off a roof and killed. And it's basically, Commissioner Gordon goes after Batman because he blames Batman for her death, but it all turns out to be the Scarecrow. Uh, and at the end of it, she goes to tell him, and there is one of the most beautiful moments of him basically saying, I know you're Batgirl, but he doesn't say, I know you're Batgirl. But it's more like, I'm proud of you for what you do, and you know that he knows, so you know that what just happened would never come to pass. But still, I just... I just He's too smart, you know? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. How does his daughter run around his back girl for five years and he just doesn't know? I mean, seriously, that, that doesn't speak well for Jim Gordon, really. <laughs> well, and that that makes me question, were there any stories, Michael, that you know of where Maggie had an inkling about Superman that she, you know, I, I would assume that she interacted with him some. Were there any stories where she might have known that he had a secret identity or that he was Clark Kent? One of the great things about the post-crisis Superman is that from the jump, they never, Superman never let on that he had another identity. People just assumed because he didn't wear a mask that if he wasn't right there saving somebody, he was somewhere else in the world saving somebody. She had very little interaction with Clark Kent. So most of her you know, encounters with Superman were on the job. So, you know, he, there was never any kind of need for her to think that he had a secret identity because no one thought he had a secret identity. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm now curious about that. Now that we're talking about this stuff, 
how Maggie on Supergirl is going to interact with Supergirl (laughs) um, and how they will handle that relationship because I'm assuming that Maggie will somehow interact with her and if if Kara will have to hide who she really is or, you know, what that dynamic is going to be. I'm very curious to see how they play that. I'm hoping that she gets a little more screen time than Smallville. Uh, not that I want to jump too far ahead, but, uh, but, you know, I'm just, I'm just hoping they do right by the character, but then again, they've pretty much done right by all of the characters I like. So I, I'm just, I'm just trusting that it'll work out. You know, I want to be proven wrong at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounds like she's going to be sticking around for a while in season two, and it sounds like she might have a pretty big role. So uh, I think we'll get to see a lot of her. Um, are there any other stories that you might want to recommend or any, any other uh, bits of trivia that you want to share with us about Maggie? The early burn issues of Superman where she first appears are a lot of fun simply because, you know, she's just kind of the person that runs into action. Uh, Superman number 10 is when she has a really good encounter with Lex Luthor. Uh, Superman 15, as I mentioned, is when she goes up against Skyhook. Action 600 has a really solid story with her. But she doesn't really in it, and she plays a really good part in the death and return of Superman, because she's on the front lines of protecting Superman's body from Project Cadmus oh, when they want to come take that. it. And she's just like, and it's funny because that's when Dan Turpin punches the head of Cadmus because <laughs> he insults Maggie, <laughs> which you know Maggie could take care of himself, but that's just how Dan is. Um, kind of like the protective older brother, I guess you could say, but she, you know, she's not one to back down from a fight. And most of when you see her in the comics, it's on the battlefront. So, you know, it should be relatively inexpensive that Metropolis SCU miniseries, while it's a little wonky, is a really good look into Maggie Sawyer as a character and kind of has her and her world take center stage. So, in animation, Maggie Sawyer appeared on Superman, the animated series, and was voiced by actress Joanna Cassidy. This version of Maggie Sawyer also made a cameo in the Justice League episode titled Hereafter. Michael, what are your thoughts on the animated version of Maggie Sawyer? Uh, I liked that she was a part of it. They always did a little more with Dan Turpin than Maggie, uh, and I don't know why that is. Uh, And, of course, Dan Turpin has a huge two-parter. Uh, where uh, something really bad happens. Uh, One of the things that I loved about her appearance on it is there is an episode, I forget which episode it is, but she's injured. So you see her in the hospital with Dan, and sitting next to her is Toby. Yeah, and I think that's part of that two-parter, the the big one that you're talking about that has, uh, that Dan Turpin has. I I think you're right. I think, I I think... the thing I don't like about that is that she's sidelined so that he can have the big story. And part, mm-hmm. of, part of that, part of me is bothered by that. But I, I can understand why they did it. Um, but yeah, I mean, in that, you clearly do see Dan Turpin's uh, hot-tempered persona. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a nice scene because uh, Toby is there for her and kind of staying with her in the hospital Um, even though Maggie wants to get out there and fight, like you were talking about how she's kind of always on the front lines. Um, And you see that a lot in Super... I kind of went back and tried to (laughs) very quickly rewatch most of her her appearances on the show. And she's always, you know, right there with the the cops and everybody who needs to stand there and protect 
Metropolis. So she is uh, she's a nice uh, minor character, but it it makes that world feel feel very real that there are humans on the ground trying to fight for the city just as much as Superman is. Yeah, I I, I always thought that that was where she was at her best, essentially being uh, there trying to contain the scene while Superman takes care of the bigger threat that, you know, it's nothing against anybody on the police force, but they're not, they're not taking down Bizarro. You know, they're not taking down Brainiac. But Uh, there is an episode called Bizarro's world where she, there's a little moment where she's like physically holding Bizarro back. And that like took me by surprise. And I've, I've watched Superman the Animated Series, but it's been a long time since I've watched it all the way through. So some of the episodes kind of fall by the wayside. And when I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh. Either she is really strong or really brave and maybe a little bit of both. Um, just because I can't imagine. I mean, even Bizarro is maybe not as smart as Superman is. He's still really strong. So that image of her holding him back, even though it was kind of... Nobody made a really big deal about it. That really struck me as just showing how brave she was, that she was willing to stand in front of Bizarro like that. Oh, that's just Maggie. <laughs> no no one really thought too much about it because that's just something she would do. Yeah, that's, so. that's, just, that's just what she does. Um, the only thing I don't like about Maggie Sawyer in the animated series, and this is, again, revisiting the series after kind of, you know, gaining more knowledge and things like that. I noticed that her appearance was always the same. Like she would always be shown wearing like a jacket that sort of almost was like a one piece where she had a skirt on while she was out in the field. And I was like, really? I don't know that uh, a lady cop would be wearing that. Like if it was me, I'd be like, I'm wearing pants. If I'm going to be running (laughs) and chasing down bad guys and climbing buildings and, you know, doing crazy stunts, I'm not going to wear a skirt. It's just not, I don't know if that's the most appropriate clothing to wear for those activities. Um, So that did bother me a little bit because I don't think that was really functional. But I guess they wanted to have her, show her with her own kind of costume, I guess, for animation. And so that's, that's why they have her looking like that. And in her first appearances, that's what she wore. She wore a skirt. Oh, really? So in the, Mm -hmm. that's, that's the way she looked in the comics? Yes. I, I still don't think that's very functional. No, it's not, but it's just at least there's an explanation for it for in the TV that, that, series. That does that does make a lot of sense now. That is that is making that um yeah, at least there is an excuse for it. I'll I'll let it slide if it's, you know, uh paying tribute to the source material. <laughs> well, in live action television, uh Michael mentioned before that Maggie Sawyer has appeared on Smallville. She was played by Jill Teed and can be seen in episodes Insurgents, Exile, Exposed, and Descent. So she kind of is there for a good while, spanning many seasons. Uh, She is also featured in the second story arc of Smallville Season 11 called Detective, as well as the comic book miniseries, miniseries, Smallville Lantern and Smallville Chaos. So, Michael, what did you think about this version of Maggie Sawyer? I liked her a lot. Uh, she didn't do like a whole lot, but it was kind of neat to see her there uh, just because it, it was always nice to see them taking something from the comics and putting it in the show. And Maggie Sawyer being kind of a detective uh, character in, you know, before she like kind of rose through the ranks 
and kind of having experiences with Clark because Exile was the season premiere of, of the third season. And that's when Clark was kind of robbing banks and doing all kinds of not good things because he was <laughs> under the influence of Red K. I just, I liked seeing her, but again, you know, they didn't really give her like a, like an arc essentially. So it's not like Lana or, or even later in the series when you had like Professor Hamilton or, um, why am I blanking on that woman's name? She replaced Lex essentially. Oh, Tess? Uh, Tess Mercer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she never had that type of, of character arc, but it was always cool to see her. Carly, I know you have a little bit of familiarity with Smallville. Do you know anything about this version of Maggie Sawyer? No, because I stopped watching Smallville before I got to her season. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it was, I mean, no, I can't. If she was in season three, though, I probably did see her, but it was so long ago that I don't really remember her. And I haven't watched it recently enough to know. So I'll have to go back because I did start rewatching Smallville recently just for the fun of it. But I'm still in season one. So wow, you're you're going through Smallville and Star Trek. I'm, well, I'm not impressed. not as actively, but <laughs> how is that now? That first season because that's like serious high school drama. It's it is it's very like WB high school drama, but it's it's actually not terrible. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, like, it's, it's not quite as bad as I was expecting. I don't know. I think I do have a lot of, like, nostalgic love for it, though. Yeah, like, it's it, a lot of, it's a lot of, like, 90s music. And <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of Lifehouse. <laughs> yeah, it's like like anything from the early 2000s. It's a lot of like, The Calling. It's a lot of... <laughs> like, 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 an episode would always end with Clark, like, looking, like, all creepily into his, uh, into his... Into his uh, telescope, telescope at Lana's, at Lana's house, yeah. At Lana's aunt's house, it's like every episode ends with him, like, looking at her house, because they're neighbors, apparently. Well, to be fair to Smallville, and I don't say that a lot, but, <laughs> the, but they did have some good soundtracks. I will they give, did. I will they give do. them that. Um, they do. But... Maggie Sawyer is really interesting because if you think about these episodes that she appeared in, they were all Metropolis-centered. Insurgents, I think that's the episode where Clark has to make the super leap from the Daily Planet. Oh, yes. Such a good episode. That is a a good episode. Um, So that was in Metropolis. Exile, like you said, it's him. Robin Banks on Red K, that's in Metropolis. Exposed. I think that's when Lois and Chloe go to investigate something that I think is in Metropolis. Yeah, I think so. And it's got the the helicopter rescue. I think that's all in Metropolis. And then Descent is, of course, when, spoiler alert, Lex Luthor kills his father. So that was in Metropolis. (gasps) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Just kidding. Um, Spoiler alert, Lex Luthor is kind of a bad guy. Um, (laughs) I I know that's totally ruined the show for you now, Carly. I'm very um, ashamed of myself for spoiling that for you. You mean they're not friends forever and ever? (laughs) I'm just saying, if they're going to bring anything from Smallville into the current CW stuff, you know, they have, like, alternate realities Lionel Luthers, and I think that would just be amazing. Lionel Luther <laughs> To see Lionel Luther great. back. Yeah, he was pretty great, and uh, that's a good episode, Descent, uh, if you if you want to check that out. Um, for Maggie Sawyer, if you want to watch that for her, uh, Descent is a very good episode. Maggie Sawyer has also been featured in video games. She appears in DC Universe Online, voiced by Lori Singer, 
was mentioned by Kate Kane in Batman Arkham Knight and also appeared in Lego Dimensions, voiced by Laura Bailey, who also performs the voice of Supergirl in Injustice 2. Yeah, Laura Bailey is just, she's the voice actress of all these these folks. Um, yeah, I have not played any of these games. Do you know anything about these uh, video games, Michael? No, sadly, uh, I'm really interested in Injustice 2. Uh, because I really enjoyed the first one. I unfortunately have not played Lego Dimensions, but I've played all of the Batman Lego games, so now I'm kind of disappointed that Maggie Sawyer was never a playable character in there. Uh, but I, I, you know, and, now Arkham Knight, that's the video, because was she mentioned in the movie that came out recently, Bad Blood, the poorly named uh, movie Bad Blood? I think... Thinks well. Uh, Batwoman was in. Is it yeah. Bat Blood? Bad Blood? And it was Bad Blood bad because blood. everybody was making the Taylor Swift jokes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think Kate Kane was involved in that, but I don't know if Maggie Sawyer was. But no, sadly, I'm not much of a gamer though. My wife is more of a gamer than I am. So, well, it's, uh, I'm assuming Carly, these are not on your console. I have not played Injustice only because I have an Xbox One and I don't think it is Xbox backwards compatible yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I do want to play it at some point. I just uh, unfortunately have not been able to. And I don't know anything about the other ones, unfortunately. But actually, Batman Arkham Knight, I think... My friend has, and I may be borrowing it. We'll see. <laughs> he has it. He basically has all the Batman games. Yeah. Oh, this was the one that this was the one that came out last year. Mm. I think the you, the voicemail that's in that game in uh, Batman Arkham Knight is a voicemail where Kate talks about her wedding to Maggie. So I think. Oh, I've played this one. Yeah, I've played this one a little bit. Yeah. So they 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 make a nod to the fact that they get engaged and. You know, is Bruce going to come to the wedding? They just want the present. I mean, he's going to burn. He's gonna burn. <laughs> I mean, present, he's know? got enough money to afford a good present. No excuses. He could basically throw the wedding. Like, he could just pay for the whole wedding. He gave Lois and Clark an apartment. Oh, hey. That's pretty nice. I take that. <laughs> I want an apartment. I want an apartment in, like, I'd be like, hook me up with something in National City. <laughs> and and that would be, like, nothing to Bruce Wayne. He can, He could do that very easily. Yep. Well, and here's what we know so far about Maggie Sawyer, who will be played by Floriana Lima in Supergirl Season 2. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Maggie's described as, quote, a detective for the National City Police Department who takes a special interest in the cases involving aliens, unquote. TVLine.com also described Maggie as an out-and-proud detective for the newly formed Science Police, which deals specifically with metahuman and alien threats. I guess now they're actually referring to them as metahumans because Supergirl's in the CW. Yeah, with with the Flash and <laughs> yeah, all the yeah, images. that's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Michael, I was curious about your take on this because you know Maggie's been with the Metropolis law enforcement. She's been with Gotham City's law enforcement. Now she's going to be involved uh, with National City and uh, the Science Police. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, one, I love the fact that they're using the term science police because that's a legion of superheroes thing. That was the cops in the future, basically. They were the science police. Uh, So that's kind of a nod towards that. Uh, I I will admit 
I I had one eye roll when it says, you know, she takes a special interest in the case involving aliens because, of course, she does, (laughs) because that's what everybody on this show does. So who wouldn't? The one thing I don't want is awkward reaction to Kara realizing that she's out and proud, Um, because I think that's a little stereotypical and may not reflect well on Kara, you know, when you really think about it. Like, you know, I just, if because it's, it's CW, I have this, oh, oh, type, you know, like reaction in my head. And I'm hoping I don't see that. Uh, but no, I, I, I liked the fact that they're kind of expanding the cast a little bit. It's not, it's not that I don't want to see less of, you know, Wynn or, or, or James grown man Olsen or, <laughs> Uh, not gonna let that go. You, you <laughs> put that in my head, and it's there forever. It's it's um, been coined. So, and you know, I, I know we're gonna see less of Cat, which kind of upsets me, and we're gonna get Snapper Car, which I cannot tell you how much laughter I've had about that because of who Snapper Car is in the comics. Do not diss um, on my my favorite new DC Comics character, Snapper Car. <laughs> I, will, I will not let you talk down about Snapper on this podcast. Um, so get that kind of talk out of here because I will not put I, up with I, it. I, I, I will stop now. But no, I just <laughs> like that in the second season, we're kind of expanding things a little bit and kind of showing the world that Supergirl inhabits is going to change by her very presence there. So now that she's in National City and more of these made human threats are happening or alien threats then it would make sense that they're like, you know, we got to beef up our, our police force for this. So bringing in a character like Maggie Sawyer kind of makes sense on that. So I, I like that she's there. Yeah. Carly, do you have any hopes and dreams about Maggie Sawyer in season two of Supergirl? Hopes and dreams. Well, you know, I love lady cops, so <laughs> they're kind of my kryptonite. Um, no, I just love, I just love female detectives like in any, in anything. Just give me a show with a female detective and I'm all over it. Um, it's interesting too, that she, the actress that's, that they cast doesn't really look like the comics version. So I'm intrigued by that. Cause I, I actually wasn't too familiar with Maggie's appearance prior. Um, and it seems like in the comics, she basically just has that very short blonde haircut, like 90% of the time. So it's interesting that they cast an actress that has, I wonder if she's going to cut her hair short or if she's going to keep it. Cause she has, you know, she's a brunette with long, longer hair. So it's interesting. I'm excited though. It'll be fun. I'm, I kind of want to see her. I kind of want to see her butt heads with Hank. I feel like, he might be like, what are you, what are you doing? Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. You see that a lot only, with, yeah. with like cops in the FBI and like who's, right, who's going to yes. take the case. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think there probably will be some of that. To be fair, Hank's first real exposure to law enforcement on earth was to try to kill him. So you could see where he might be a little mistrustful of all of them <laughs> because of that. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd hold a grudge. True, true. And I think what I'm excited about with Maggie Sawyer is just having that, uh, I think like I talked about with Superman, the animated series, is having that person on the ground, having that human person on the ground. Like we see that a little bit with Alex, but she is in a you know a special covert operation, so she's not able to really interact with people much because they're not supposed to, the DEO is not supposed to exist really. 
And so I like the idea of, and what I like about Maggie Sawyer as a character is she's that that person who can be on the, you know, out there in the field with Supergirl dealing with these alien threats, dealing with the things that go on in the city. And so I, I kind of like that. You know, we, we joked a, bit, a little bit about Commissioner Gordon, but that's a fun dynamic between him and Batman is having the vigilante or the hero with the cop who is trying to do the same thing. So I think that's really cool about Maggie Sawyer is that she is a human. She is someone who has a has an everyday job like most of us do, and she's out there trying to help the city just as much as Supergirl is. And so I'm very curious to see the uh, what she's going to be doing with the science police because we have heard that there is going to be a lot of, um, well, at least on this podcast, we, we've we heard people who like John M. Wilson and Bob Fisher, when they were on earlier in the summer, they talked about the science police being a legion term. And I think even uh, Darren and Corinne, when we had them on, they mentioned the science police. So everybody's really excited about this connection to the legion of superheroes. <laughs> so um, I'm, very, I'm very curious as to see what the difference will be between you know, what I know about Maggie just being, you know, associated with the Metropolis PD or the National City PD versus the science police. Um, does anybody have anything else before we wrap it up or at least get to the listener feedback? I, I like Maggie Sawyer a lot, and I appreciate that you had me on to talk about her. Oh, uh, well, I, you are the first person that came to my mind because you're a, you're a Superman aficionado you know all things about Metropolis, and you're you're my go-to guy if I need questions about the Superman world. And since Maggie is a part of that, um, there was nobody else I wanted to have on. So I really appreciate you you making the time for it. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Well, and uh, so let's uh, get to some listener feedback. I do like emails. Uh, <laughs> we received one from a listener named Jamie who wrote us after rewatching season one episodes. Saying, quote, I'm reminded how much Alex used her scientific background to help Supergirl and the DEO defeat the baddies. Her initial recruitment into the DEO was due to her background in bioengineering with an expertise in alien physiology. And because of that, I'm a little disappointed how inept Alex and DEO at large became as the season progressed. It seems the DEO, including Alex, became less and less capable of solving intellectual and technological problems without outside help. I assume it was the way to integrate other characters like Wynn and Maxwell Lord into the storylines, but as a viewer, you started to question the capabilities of all DEO operatives. With Cadmus as a plot point in Season 2, I hope that the show can highlight not only Alex's combat skills, but revisit Alex's badass scientific prowess, end quote. So what what are y'all's thoughts about that? Michael, do you have any thoughts about Alex and her skills as a, as a scientist? You know, I never really thought about it until until reading this is, is, you know, Jamie's right. Uh, you know, Alex, I mean, Alex became a great character and, and I, you know, I love all of the characters and it was really cool to watch her become, you know, kind of super cool Kung Fu fighter. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it does seem like, you know, she was brought in for one reason, but now all we're going to focus on is that she can take somebody down pretty cool. Uh, however, the only thing I will say is that towards the end of the season, she was a little hobbled by the fact that her and Hank were kind of on the run uh, for a couple of episodes. Right. So it's a little harder to use your scientific knowledge when you're, you know, wanted by the authorities. 
but I, I have to agree. I'd like to see you know more of a more of a balance between the two character points. Carly, do you uh, have any thoughts about Alex and her her science? Yeah, it's. I mean, I have to agree. I would say I I remember the scene where Alex tells Kara about you know why she was hired the DEO like she kind of basically comes out and reveals the truth about who she really works for and this whole thing and yeah I mean the show kind of moved away from that and instead chose to focus on Alex and her combat abilities and I mean I while I did appreciate the fact that she essentially taught Kara how to fight um you know she taught her how to use her own strength, use her opponent's strength against them, kind of allowed her to fine tune her ability. So she wasn't just brute strength, which I thought, you know, they did a, they had a really interesting way of, of doing that with like the kryptonite room, the krypton, the kryptonite emitters, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then the scene, the scene toward the end of, of the season where she fights her with like the, the sword, <laughs> That was pretty badass. But again, I mean, we just, we don't, we saw her mostly being this woman of action and less kind of, you know, I would say less of an intellectual. And I think, I think I would agree that it was probably the way for them to bring in other characters like, um, Jamie mentioned Wynn and, you know, they brought him in with the whole hacking, you know, the Indigo storyline and, they were probably trying to figure out ways to bring in Maxwell Lord, but I think they definitely need to focus on that more in season two is this other side of Alex that has this background, this important background that apparently is why she was recruited into the DEO to begin with, but we wouldn't know that because we haven't seen it. Yeah, I would agree that there were times where we got to see Alex kind of in the background, like tinkering with something at the DEO or um, doing something scientific related there but there was nothing it wasn't like a big plot line that required Alex to use her her knowledge to figure out a problem um not to the extent where it was a big deal in the episode so I I would agree that I would be hopeful that with Cadmus and all of that kind of stuff and even if they do a search for Jeremiah I would like to see Alex take a, a bigger role in that and hopefully get to integrate some of her Bio, bioengineering background and she is an alien and uh, she's an expert in alien physiology which means she knows so much about car that she's learned about what's going on there and even uh, her mother is a very smart lady Eliza so I would like to see them be able to use some of her smarts instead of just her her physical abilities that would that would be really cool and we have another email from a listener named Martin responding to our snapper car spotlight episode Uh, He writes, quote, your snapper car profile reminded me of an episode of the animated Justice League titled Legends, written by Andrew Kreisberg. The Justice League visits a parallel universe Justice Guild, and their kid sidekick is secretly the villain. Given the overlap in story and the involvement of Mr. Kreisberg, I think your hopes of getting the full breadth of snapper car's backstory are not misplaced, unquote. And I totally had forgotten about this, Martin. I had recently watched uh legends that it's like a two-parter and i had recently watched it when black siren came on the flash she sort of originated there and so i went back to watch it there um i went back to watch it um when we talked about the music meister so i kind of had some familiarity with it but i totally had forgotten that the twist involved 
a sidekick who was revealed to be the person behind it all. So I'm just saying Snapper Car is a villain on Supergirl would be awesome. Yes, stars are. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, we talked about that, Mike. You just, you just, oh, oh man, I'm having flashbacks. Stars uh, are and hands getting cut off. Oh, man. <laughs> I laughed so hard about that last time. <laughs> that was so fun. The Blasters special, too. Yeah, um, yep. That, uh, that that Justice Guild episode always makes me smile because the the kid Ray Thompson uh, is supposed to be an homage to writer Roy Thomas and uh, Don and Maggie Thompson, who were like early people in comic book fandom and all that. So they they like rolled up all of these like early comic fandom people and made them the one that you know secretly is the bad guy of the piece. So <laughs> I don't know what that says. I don't know. I don't either. I don't. I don't. I don't want to know what that what what that says. But uh, it's a it's a great episode. It's a great two part episode, and it has some like golden age uh, homages uh, in there. And I I I don't know. I'm trying not to get my hopes up about Snapper Carr and his turn to villainy on Supergirl, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> but I think I think it is well, hero too. You have to remember that. I mean, he he was he was one of the survivors of invasion. True. So there true. Was that. And he did get that ability to uh, teleport himself places by snapping his fingers. But I think the most interesting part of him is when he becomes a, a traitor to the Justice League. So uh, not get, I'm not... Because the writer hated him. <laughs> snapper car, super traitor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm not, I'm not getting my hopes up, but that is an interesting parallel to that episode. Uh, so thanks for writing in about that, Martin. Well, I think that's going to do it for our character spotlight on Maggie Sawyer. And again, Michael, thanks so much for coming back to talk to us about Maggie. How can our listeners find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at viewsfromthelongbox.com, where I have a, a plethora of episodes about a wide variety of mostly superhero comics, because that's where my bread and butter is. And if you go back to, to February and March of this year, you'll hear uh, Rebecca and I talking about Wonder Woman. Yes. And had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, you can also go over to the Fortress of Bailey-Tude. Still need to get t-shirts or something or a logo just so I can I can sell that. But uh, it's, it's my Superman blog, and it's also the home of the sadly on hiatus, but we're working on it uh, from Crisis to Crisis, a Superman <laughs> podcast. Where Jeffrey Taylor and I have gone through just about every Superman appearance in the post-crisis era, starting with Man of Steel number one. Uh, we're ramping up for the death of Clark Kent. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited to get back into that. And every Tuesday night at 1030 Eastern Standard Time, uh, you can call, you can hear me and Steve Eunice over on the Superman homepage uh, where we do Radio KAL Live, uh, the only, as far as I know, live call-in Superman show on the Internet, uh, which is always a lot of fun. And Rebecca's been on that as well. A few times. Uh, we, we, uh, calling in or being a guest host, which was which was a lot of fun. So, um, and uh, I also write reviews for the Superman homepage for Action Comics. And I know Dragon Con is coming up because mm -hmm. uh, it's all I can think about right now. Um, but I know you're going to be doing some panels. So, just in case our, any of our listeners are going to Dragon Con this year, what panels are you going to be doing? Uh, I'm doing about 12 panels through the American Sci-Fi Classics track. 12? Uh, 
Whoa. Yeah, about 12. Uh, the big ones, though, that I'm, that I'm really looking forward to outside of the Transformers, the movie 30th anniversary <laughs> uh, panel, because, you know, everybody remembers where they were when they found out Optimus died. Uh, on, I actually have it written down uh, because I had to type it out the other day. Uh, Monday morning at 830 is going to be another superhero anniversary panel. Uh, so if you like waking up really early on the last day of Dragon Con, you can come and see me and a bunch of other people <laughs> with a PowerPoint presentation. And I can and, I can attest that those are awesome. I enjoyed the one last year when you taught me about the hillbilly member of uh, <laughs> the, the Marvel. Marvel family, uh, of Captain Marvel, Shazam's family. I was not aware of that, but I could only learn that from Michael Bailey's panel at Dragon Con. So I would recommend those. Yeah, at 1130 on Friday morning, uh, there's going to be a Watchmen panel Uh 5.30 p.m. on Saturday. We're doing a Wonder Woman at 75 panel, which I'm looking forward to. And uh, Sunday at 11.30, Batman 66, the 50th anniversary. So <laughs> lots of fun stuff going on. Uh, Dragon Con is uh, Geek Mardi Gras and is uh, always a good time. Yeah, I'm very excited. Anytime I see Michael Bailey's name on a panel, I'm like, I'm there. Uh, because... Um, looking forward to yours too i got it marked off and everything oh i, I will address that uh when we get down to my stuff but uh <laughs> it, you, you you'll need to bring some popcorn to my panel um because it, it will be a show um but if you would like to contact supergirl radio you can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com you can post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com you can like us on facebook and follow us on twitter and instagram all at supergirl radio we have become a literal Supergirl Radio on Spotify, so check out our playlist. And we are also available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So if you have time, we encourage you to give us a rating and write us a review. And we are part of the DC TV Podcast Network. So if you also like Gotham, Arrow, The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, iZombie, and even the DC movies, subscribe to our DC TV Podcast mega feed and follow at DC TV Podcast on Twitter and like DC TV Podcast on Facebook. And you can follow me on Twitter at DerbyKid, that's D-E-R-B-Y-K-I-D, and watch videos I've shot and edited on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash duckmilkprod. That's D-U-C-K-M-I-L-K-P-R-O-D. And uh, like Michael said, I'm going to be doing a panel at Dragon Con. I applied to do a Supergirl panel, but somehow I am not, uh, I, I didn't make the cut for that one for some reason. Um, there will be feedback left because of that. Uh, <laughs> I will organize something, I promise. Well, I mean, it was just interesting. It was like, okay, um, sure. Um, but that's fine. I, the panel I'm doing, I'm very excited about. Um, but I'll be on a panel Sunday, September 4th at 4 p.m. titled DC Universe Film and TV and the Delicate Balance. And I, I'm very concerned about this description because the description for the panel reads... The past year has been has seen great success and ridicule for the DC Mediaverse. Batman v Superman brings up a lot of strong reactions. What makes so many of the small screen versions work, but their heroes struggle in the theater. And will Wonder Woman fall victim to this as well? Um, and my first question would be, let's talk about this description of the panel. <laughs> so um, that should be a, that should be a very interesting hour. So if you are uh, I, I would love to see people if, if there, any of our listeners are at Dragon Con and you have a free hour on September 4th, uh, come by and see me because I love to talk to people and I love to, to kind of geek out about this stuff with everybody. So uh, that should be a good time. So you can find me on Twitter at my name, Carly Lane. 
Uh, I'm weekend editor at the Mary Sue, which you can visit at the And I am not going to dragon con, <laughs> which well, I wish you would. It's awesome. Um, I know. One day we'll I am going to be, here. I know, but I am going to be at a convention same weekend. Uh, I'm going to star Trek mission, uh, here in New York Ooh. city. Yeah. So I'm very excited for it. There's going to be, if you're a star Trek fan, uh, and you're coming, you should, tweet at me and I will say hi. Um, I, I'm going to be there as press. So I'm actually really excited because I'm going to get to interview some people and do some fun stuff for Mary Sue. So is this for the new TV series or just all things, Star Trek, all things, Star Trek. Um, they're going to have cast members from all the TV shows and the movies there. And, uh, you know, some fun, they're doing a live reading of, uh, of one of the movies they're doing a special screening of one of the films director's cut. I can't remember which Star Trek movie. I think it's wrath of Khan. Um, but I'm very excited about it. It's my first Star Trek convention. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, yeah. Uh, so it'll be fun. I'm, take, ex- I'm very excited to do it. Take lots of pictures. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. I, I think there's going to be one panel talking about the new show. So that'll be fun too. I'm, I'm also very excited for the new show. Well, that's very cool. Um, well, uh, until next time, I'm still Rebecca Johnson. And I'm still Carly Lane. And if we had a dime for every time Dan Turpin turned in his badge... We would have enough money to make Lex Luthor look like a pauper. (laughs) 